over the last several years, everyone's content, 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 create more content, create more content. People are exhausted. And if you're one of those folks that are listening to this, you're like, I have created so much content. Video is amazing and audio is easier. Hey there, you're listening to the latest episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast with your host, Kenny Soto, and today's special guest, Nora Sudduth. Nora is the co-founder of Hello Audio, a leading marketing and conversion strategist who has helped businesses sell over $500 million of products and services online. She's also designed several courses, coaching, and certification programs that have generated millions of dollars as well. Nora has over 20 years of experience working with startups to Fortune 500 companies and everything in between. She's consulted on thousands of marketing campaigns to help businesses have authentic, compelling conversations with their clients. Also, she's responsible for rebuilding ClickFunnels Certified Partner Program. Now, if you're interested in learning about the power of private podcasts and what they can do for your B2B business, let's tune in. Hi, Nora. How are you? Hey, Kenny. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Before we started recording, I was giving you some context on the podcast, the how it started, where we are today, two years in, believe it or not, for the I people of digital marketing. Yeah. And I would like to start off by getting more context about you as a marketer. So my first question, as always, is how did you get into digital marketing? Oh, that's a great question. I actually didn't start as a marketer. I took that more traditional path to success, I guess you could call it, like through corporate. So I have a handful of college degrees, uh, started actually in computer science, did uh, engineering psychology, and then ended up with my MBA. And I was ready to climb that corporate ladder because in my world and how I grew up, that's what I was taught that success was all about. And I didn't have a bad corporate experience. I met a lot of great people, got to work with a lot of amazing companies from startups to Fortune 500, worked with amazing leaders that I learned a lot from, and worked with some challenging leaders that I learned a lot from as well, right? So all really positive. And I, I'll say, you know, as I, as I was climbing the corporate ladder, doing the work, right, helping companies grow, I started to kind of get that itch, that entrepreneurial itch. And you know, at the time, I had very young kids at the time. They're now uh, older. <laughs> They're a little older, but they I had one in kindergarten at the time um, and one that was not even in school yet. And my kindergartner wanted to take the bus home. And so all I could hear about was the yellow bus, the yellow school bus. And I'm thinking, man, I work from like seven to seven. Like, no, none of this nine to five. I don't know where people are getting the nine to five. God bless you if you have a, <laughs> a corporate job that lets you work from nine to five. For us, it was it was a really long day and, and they couldn't take the school. My daughter couldn't take the school bus home. And so, you know, a variety of things happened. My dad passed away. Um, I was kind of feeling this itch. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to kick myself in the pants if I don't do this. And so I ended up retiring from corporate and starting my own marketing agency. And so and, and kind of how that worked was. You know, I, had, I had spent so much time as a business consultant and as a manager helping companies grow. I, you know, I was I was able to see kind of both sides of the operations. I saw the front end, I saw marketing and sales, and I also saw operations and fulfillment. And so I kind of naturally gravitated toward that marketing and 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 but in an authentic way, in a very grown up. I have a business backbone. I have an MBA, I have a few degrees. And so 
for me, it was just, it was a very natural transition to also want to work with small businesses and help them succeed. And so I kind of started my my digital marketing agency with that focus, helping small businesses that didn't necessarily have all the resources, that didn't necessarily have all, all the biggest budgets. You know, they, they're kind of the underdogs. And that was kind of where I, I ended up starting. I ended up kind of getting into this at a time when ClickFunnels was brand new. So this is before the word funnel was mainstream. Every, you know, it was more like architecting your marketing campaign or looking at your marketing. And we were using WordPress for everything, which as a technical person was not an issue for me. But ClickFunnels was brand new. And I was like, well, why not give it a shot? And so started to use ClickFunnels with clients. Russell ended up finding out what I was doing. I was in his orbit because I was part of a coaching program. And he kind of tabbed me and said, hey, would you be willing to shut down your agency and come rebuild our certified partner program? I ended up being with ClickFunnels for several years, built them a couple of seven-figure programs, including their certified partner program at the time and, and their ClickStar coaching program. And have probably now since then, I have reviewed thousands of funnels. I have consulted on, on thousands of funnels and I've helped sell over half a billion dollars of stuff online. But it started by taking a chance and doing something that I love that didn't feel like work to me and probably something I would have gotten paid, would have done if I hadn't gotten paid. Now, don't tell my clients that necessarily, but that's how much I, I think they know that anyway. But I absolutely love doing that. And that's that's kind of how it, it came to be. By the time this episode airs, it will probably be early 2023. And this topic will still be timely, especially because student loan forgiveness is a topic of conversation. The MBA, I've asked several guests in the past their opinions on the MBA. And I would like to know your opinion. What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages to your MBA? Mm, that's a great question. You know, at the time when I got the MBA, so I actually ended up going through the MBA program with my husband and we did it before we had kids. So we both knew we we wanted, he took a separate track. He's an engineer, he's a project manager. Um, and we both knew that we wanted it, but we also knew that if we, when we had children, cause that was in the plans, you know, hopefully that we would have kids, that it would be really challenging after that for both of us to get our MBA. And so we made the joint decision to both do it at the same time. Um, which is challenging. I've never, like, we, we, you know, we didn't go to school together. We weren't in the same classes, you know, until we did this. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, it was, it was very challenging. We did it at night. We were both working full time during the day. And, you know, I will say when I, when I did it, I went with the intention for career advancement in corporate, you know, and I think it, it demonstrates business proficiency. I think, I, you know, we were lucky enough. We live here just north of Indianapolis, Indiana. So we were able to get our MBAs through the Kelly School of Business through Indiana University. So it was very, um, it's a very prestigious program. It's one of the ranked top in the nation. We were able to get a lot of hands-on practice. So it wasn't just book knowledge. We were able to work with VC funds. We were able to really kind of just dig into to more real world applications. And I think that was really beneficial you know, overall, did it help me advance in the corporate job? I mean, sure, it's it's one of those things in your resume. You're like, that's great. You're able to do it. I think what it does demonstrate and where I found it most beneficial is that I have that business backbone. I have managed multiple millions of dollars of, of you know, what it's a, a huge project or hundreds of millions of dollars when it comes to an annual budget. 
And there's not a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting out that have that business background. And I think that challenges a lot of entrepreneurs because they're, you know, and they're amazing people. It's it's just something that they haven't had the experience managing that business and and understanding the the profit and loss statement and understanding cash flow and and all of those things because they don't really teach that in school. They don't teach that in high school, at least most most high schools, you know, and they they don't necessarily teach that unless you're, you know, going into finance and and you know if you're doing a bachelor's degree. So I do think that the MBA was beneficial just from giving me that business backbone to then not only be able to manage my business efficiently but also make the right decisions for clients because it wasn't just one-sided. I could see the full picture of the business. So I think that was really beneficial and then honestly the relationships that I've made in the cohort I mean, those are priceless when you, you know, it's like when you go through that with someone and we're all working full time. Some people did have families and it's, you know, that's just that's connections that are they're just priceless for sure. So my assumption here would just be that if you didn't get the MBA, that in most cases, you'll probably learn the same things, but over a longer timeline. Yeah. I, you know, would it be the exact same? Maybe not. I think I was exposed to things that like working for that VC fund and like really diving into tech startups and understanding what VCs look for when they fund. Um, I don't think I would have had that experience in corporate. Now, if I would have switched jobs and maybe gone and worked for a startup, I mean, some of my startup, I did learn other things through startups I worked with, whether it was to go public, to raise funds, now they have a board of directors they have to answer to. So I, I've been through mergers and acquisitions in corporate, you know, multi-million up to multi-billion dollar acquisitions. Um, so I've seen a lot and I learned a lot that I didn't learn in the MBA. I think it it's a way that helps you. It's not so much the textbook learning, but it's about the application and adaptation of what you learn so that when you do encounter it in real life, if you don't take it upon yourself to to not only just assimilate what they're saying, but then also take the next step and really figure out, OK, if this does happen to my SaaS company, Right. Based on what I've seen, based on historic, like what are my options to deal with this problem? It's probably not as as useful. But I like I said, I also had the benefit of being one of in one of the top programs in the nation. And so it, it, would I have done it otherwise? Probably not. When it comes to what you're currently doing, can you describe what is Hello Audio? Yes. So we have found it. So I have two co-founders. Uh, it's myself and Derek and Lindsay Padilla. Hello Audio specializes in private podcasts. So it's a SaaS company. Um, I always knew that I would end back up in, in software in some in some way, shape, or form. I obviously spent time at uh, ClickFunnels. I spent time with ExactTarget before Salesforce acquired them. I've started with a few other SaaS products as well. So really, at the end of the day, it's a SaaS product. It's a software tool. But what it does is it allows people to use podcasts as a communication channel for other types of content. So like this is an amazing public podcast, right? So people get to subscribe. They get to listen to your episodes when they drop. Everyone gets the same content on the day that you release it, right? Everyone gets the same content at the same time. With private podcasts, and they're open to the general public, right? So everyone can subscribe. And if you haven't, you probably should. <laughs> so hit that subscribe button. With private podcasts, you can gate the content. So you're using the same apps that you, whatever app you're listening to this amazing podcast on now, right? Private podcasts will use the same app. So they they feel, they operate the same as a, a normal, what you normally think of as a podcast show. 
but they're private, which means as the content owner or the podcast owner, you get to control who gets access to that content and for how long. So now you can gate it behind an opt-in. So if you want to use it as a lead magnet, you can have a private podcast as a lead magnet. Or if you want to sell it, if it's a course, you can have an audio course, but just have it delivered via podcast app, which we all know if you're a podcast listener, you know, they're super convenient. You can stick it in your pocket. You can stick your earphones, you know, headphones on and just kind of go about your day. So what we're seeing now is that business owners who have this you know, this age old problem, and it just gets worse and worse, right? With all the digital noise and and so many, you know, people being exposed to different marketing messages. How do I break through the noise and reach my audience? We're finding that audio is actually a really unique opportunity for a lot of businesses to reach their audiences when they're not sitting here at the screen. So it now unlocks, especially with podcast apps, unlocks all of the hours of the day where your audience is not sitting in their butt in front of a screen, which we don't want to do that any more than we have to anyway. And you're now able to reach them in these little pockets of, of time that, you know, whether they're washing dishes or walking the dog or sitting in the carpool line, which is something that we didn't have access to before for a lot of this content. So that's what Hello Audio is in a nutshell. We, we take that to a whole new level with, with private podcasts. I know that there are obvious benefits to a public podcast. You're able to have intimate conversations with potential business partners, customers, mm-hmm. get more information on your your ideal customer, et cetera. Uh, you can regurgitate and remix the content into written and video after you do the podcast. What's the advantage, and, and you've alluded to this already, but what are some of the advantages of using a private podcast in a business's marketing efforts? Think about using a private podcast in a couple different ways. Um, I'll give you three primary ways to use it. I'll I'll talk about all three. So one, and I'll do it really fast so you can kind of let's do it. So first is marketing. And I'll I'll talk about some use cases for how to use private podcasts for marketing. So essentially how to attract and how to convert leads into sales. Then the next one is fulfillment and delivery. So think about course completion, success rates. Like we want people to consume our stuff that we that they paid for or that they opted in for. So that's important. And then the third thing that people are starting to use private podcasts for a lot more are actually it's onboarding. So it's internal communications. Could be employee onboarding, client onboarding. No one wants to read that employee handbook at all. No one, no one is reading it. They're scrolling down and they're signing, right? So think about the difference between that experience and coming, bringing someone on board to your team as a leader and now giving them a private podcast right away before they get access to Slack or their email and all the system stuff that they have to go through. They get a private message from their supervisor. They get to hear about the company values. They get to hear client success stories. That feels a lot different than reading that employee handbook that really no one is reading either. So that's kind of the third way. I'll I'll talk a little bit more about marketing and, and delivery and fulfillment here because I think it is important on the marketing side, over the last several years, everyone's content, 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 create more content, create more content. People are exhausted. People are have created, and if you're one of those folks that are listening to this, you're like, I have created so much content. And then it's it's almost like, okay, great. Well, is any what is it doing? Is it doing anything for you? Are people listening? And I think that's one of the biggest advantages of audio that we've already talked about is that it's just easier. Video is great. Video is amazing and audio is easier, right? It's easier for you as the creator. You don't have to be camera ready. Wow, what a pain in the butt that is, right? If you're giving a 
a, a presentation or a webinar, like the thought of sometimes putting a slide deck together, or if you're trying to create a course, the thought of that slide deck can be enough to be like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. Never mind, I'll do something else. So there's that. You know, it's all, and then video editing is a pain compared to something that's straight line editing with audio, right? You don't have to worry about what your mouth was doing or like how crazy and wonky the clips are with with video editing. It's just easier, not only for you as a creator, but also for your listeners as well. And what we're finding, we have a couple of use cases with Hello Audio, is that people are using it for lead magnets and getting greater conversions. So instead of just that ebook, for example, that ebook, which has great content, we we saw an ebook that had 20% conversions to cold traffic, which was actually pretty darn good. It went up to 80% when we turned it into an, an audio book that was a private podcast. Didn't change a word. If you think about it, it think about your own behavior too. We, we all, I've opted in for bazillions of, of, of PDFs. I, over my, and I have graveyards, like PDF graveyards and multiple machines throughout my house. I trust myself a lot more to listen to something in audio than I would to read a 50-page PDF. I'm not doing that. I might read the first couple pages and then I'll get distracted by the 70 other tabs that I have open on my computer. I'm not alone. I know a lot of other people are like that too. But we're seeing conversion rates go up for lead magnets. What happens when they actually consume the lead magnet? They're a lot more likely to take the next step, right, in your marketing campaign. Same thing with your launches. So we've talked, I mean, you're, you're probably, there's so many different ways people launch and everyone teaches the evergreen launches uh, product launch formula, webinars, right? All these different things. What we're finding is that whether you run a challenge, whether you do a workshop, whether you do a webinar, if you podcast that content, because people miss it, right? They miss the challenge. They drop off engagement day to day. They don't make it to the live webinar because it's at seven o'clock and that's when Connor has soccer, right? Whatever that looks like for your audience by putting it into a private podcast. And it can be a pop-up podcast which means that, you know, you have built-in urgency. Hey, this thing's going away by Friday, right? So get in and listen to it. You're giving, you're just making it easier for people to consume your content. You spent so much time and effort creating this content. Why not make it easier for them to consume, right? And if they consume it, they're a lot more likely to take the action that you want them to take. So that's why we're saying use it for marketing, use it for fulfillment and delivery. Watch your client. We have folks that just added a private podcast to their course client success rates went up by 400%. Content didn't change. We just made it easier for them to get the information they need to get the results that they want. So there's a lot of benefits to using audio in addition to just being able to form a connection with your people, right? That's, that's why you, you, you know, one of the reasons you have a podcast, you're able to talk, people get to know you, your voice, your personality, they know your values, they know what you care about. Being able to use audio in your business allows you to make that connection with your people as well. As you were explaining this, what came to my mind, because I like to have tangible examples, there is an, a marketer, I've probably mentioned him in the past. His name is Brendan Hufford, and he has a podcast called SEO for the Rest of Us. He okay. also has, which I think is a great tactic that ties back to what you were talking about, a private podcast, same title, but it's for people who go into his paid community. And yep. he basically asks bonus questions of each guest that you can only access by being a paid member of his community, therefore showing the viability of a private podcast as a quick example. Absolutely. And that's one strategy. And a lot of podcasters are kind of, I mean, uh, Apple had that, Spotify had that, Patreon, that's kind of Patreon's model, right? It's like a $5 a month or, you know, maybe $7 a month. And what 
what we're saying, too, is that's a great model for a lot of folks, though. They don't even see themselves as a podcaster. They're like, I don't really want to show. That's a lot of work. And you know it's a lot of work. I know you put in a lot of effort to make this show as amazing as it is. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, but I'm not a podcaster. And what we're saying is you don't have to be a podcaster to have a podcast. And I think that's the cool part is we do have people, yep, that kind of use that tip jar model with 5 and $7 a month, and they kind of have this membership for, for and that's great. That's an, a viable model. We also have people charging thousands of dollars for their private podcast because it's private coaching or launch coaching or, you know, a 30-day customized meditation or fitness sequence. So there's a lot more options, but an easier delivery model. I saw this on your LinkedIn, and... It drove my curiosity enough to ask you in this interview, what is the flagship formula? Uh, so the flagship formula is something that I worked on to help folks monetize their expertise. So what you know, this this world, this this marketplace is, you know, we all talk about full of gurus and the expert industry and all that kind of stuff, right? And it's like, how do you how do you stand out? Yes, you're different. Yes. You know, every single one of us is unique. We have our own unique, um, just, you know, weird things about us. We have our values. We have our personalities. Some people are going to resonate with us and some people won't. And that's natural. The other thing that we have in our favor is creating your flagship framework. And so really this flagship formula was meant to say, it was built to really help people leverage their proprietary framework for getting a result for other people, whether you're a coach or a consultant or an expert, whatever industry you're in, you help probably someone go from point A to point B. And you do that in a specific way. And, and for those of you that are just starting out and you're just kind of starting to discover your process, I guarantee that process is there, even if you don't see it yet. I'm someone that likes to, I, I see patterns, I see those kind of things, so I like to pull them out. But as you refine your craft, as you work with more clients, that pattern becomes more visible. It becomes more noticeable. And you'll also start to realize how to tweak or some of the nuances to that framework that you use or your proprietary process when things are different. When clients say, oh, I'm, I'm, I do this instead of that, or I, I, I'm this kind of a, I have this kind of a business, and you know how to tweak your own framework. But that proprietary, that flagship framework is really the foundation of anything that you're going to build, any product, every service. And so when I look at the flagship formula, I look at being able to create, you know, go from where I was making six figures in a corporate job and knowing how do I leave that corporate job? I had two kids. I was the primary breadwinner. I couldn't just leave and be like, see ya, good luck. You know, it's like I'm, it was at the time I was paying like 300 and some odd dollars a week for daycare. Like it wasn't something that I could just leave. And so how I could replace my corporate income to go from that to a six-figure income doing something that I wanted to do, it really helped. I relied on my flagship formula. So no matter what I built, whether it was a course, maybe it was a coaching program or one-on-one -on -one consulting, um, ultimately ended up creating certification programs for a couple other folks as well. It was all truly built on that flagship framework and that drives kind of that the ability to make six figures and beyond with that. I want to preface this next question with the goal of specifically helping marketers. And I I think this is a theory of mine I've had since probably 2016, 2017, that regardless of a marketer's industry or channel or set of channels they're an expert in, 
one stream of income they have most likely is a salary or some kind of income stream from freelance work. But I truly believe that every marketer can ship an info product, whether that's an ebook, private podcast, even a, a mixture of multiple content formats in a course. When is it appropriate for marketers to create a course? And I ask this because you've already alluded to it, saying that we all probably have a process, even if it's not <laughs> laid out. But could you expand on that? Absolutely. I, I truly think every single one of us has more than one course in us. You may not see it yet, but I, I think, you know, me now looking back, I have a few decades of experience. I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot. I've, I've put patterns together that I could teach other people to help shortcut and help them save a bunch of time and probably sanity and a lot of money, right? So there's, there's a lot that each of us learns in our journey. And, you know, that looks different for each of us, depending on what industry you're in, whether it's fitness or e-commerce or whatever that looks like, you have valuable information that other people would pay for. Whether, and, and we think about, you know, what, does that, is that a course? Is that an audio only course through a private podcast? Is it, you know, maybe it's a visual and you want to show people how to do run ads through a specific platform? Is it, you know, is it something that you could do consulting or put a group coaching package together and then turn that into a course? I think it's it's all about, you know, you're ready to create a course when you can say, I'm going to take this person, whoever that ideal person is from point A to point B, and this is how I'm going to do it. That alone, if you can say, yep, and it could, doesn't have to be a huge transformation. It doesn't need to be, hey, I'm going to take you from zero to 10 figures. It can be, hey, I'm going to take you from zero to launching your first successful ad. It can be, it can be, it doesn't have to be, I guess, this huge flagship program. It can be a bite-sized course. And I think starting there, because what happens when you create these bite-sized courses, it takes the pressure off. You know, no one, you don't need to start with your life's work and no one really wants 60 hours of video, right? It's not what people are buying right now, in case you haven't noticed. They're looking for targeted ways to get help. They're looking for things that are going to move the needle for them. And ultimately, what you end up doing by creating these bite-sized courses, you condition yourself to create, right? Because that's a process. That sometimes you, you, there is imposter syndrome. There's fear when you create a course. There's some things you got to get over perfectionism. But if you create these bite-sized courses, ultimately, you could create one a month. And at the end of the year, you have 12 sellable assets that you could maybe bundle together or do something bigger with, but it starts with one. And I, I truly believe every single person, if you can take someone from point A to point B, maybe it's a belief shift. Maybe it's something more clarity that you can get them unclear to clear, whatever that transformation is for you. If you can take someone from point A to point B and, and they value that transformation, you have a course inside of you. When you say that, I'm already thinking a course I could teach is probably how to create a podcast. Absolutely. That's, that's besides the point. My next question for you, Nora, is what are some tactics or strategies you've used to promote your, your own courses or tactics and strategies you've seen successfully deployed to promote courses in general? Yes, I, I love this question because I, I get a lot. There's a lot of folks at the very beginning stages and they don't necessarily they're not well known in the industry. You know, there's a I, let's just for let's just be meta about this. Right. And it's like how to create courses. Right. Everyone. You probably like how many people are out there creating how to create courses. Right. Like there's courses on how to create courses all over the place. And there's some really well-known people. 
right? So if you're competing in that space, it's you have to think, well, why is it that, you know, a lot of folks get imposter syndrome or they, why would someone want to buy this course from me when they could buy it from insert famous person, right? Amy Porterfield, like there's, you know, all the folks that are, that are selling those things. And, and it comes down to a couple of things. And so one is obviously you, which we talked about, you know, it's, it's you, your, your ability to help someone, the fact that you care. Um, I, I like to, someone taught me this phrase and it was all about turning a bug into a feature, right? So I used to be in SaaS, used to be in software. We used to have um, a fun with defects meeting every day when we would prioritize defects and bugs that were in the software. And so someone once said to me, what if we make this bug, right, this, this defect into a feature? And the same thing applies if you're a course creator trying to market yourself. It, it might be, some, oh, I'm well, I'm not well known. Oh, well, there's only three people in, in this course. So you think, okay, that's a bug. That's a defect. Flip it and turn it into a feature. So if there's not that many people in your course, guess what? Your people now get more one-on-one -on -one attention, right? Maybe your course isn't, it, maybe it's, you know, you're like, oh, I'm not going to charge that much. Okay, well, maybe you're making it more accessible for someone who who really, truly needs that help to get started, right? But they're a wealth of information and they're going to crush it, right? What, what is it about that, that you might feel there are those hesitations? Turn it into a feature. So that's one thing I, I will say there. I would say the other thing is it's all results. When you're brand new, if I look at any offer across the board, any offer that I've helped put together that has sold really, really well, it's because of the likelihood of success. So certainty, people pay for certainty. That is something will, that will increase the, the value of your offer. So how can you increase the feeling of certainty? The feeling of like, yes, if I buy this, I am, it's like, it is certain. It is guaranteed. So yeah, it could be guaranteed. It could be promoting your results. It could be testimonials, not just endorsements. Like, you know, Kenny is great. It's like, you know, what, what, Kenny helped me launch a, my first podcast in 30 days, right? Like what? What does that look like for, for your course? And if you don't have people that have gone through it yet, that's okay. Let's do a beta. The beta run, that's the beta launch. That's what it's all about. I would say, look at look at the likelihood of success. I would say another thing that people pay for um, in terms of creating a course or selling your course and, and making it more valuable, ease and convenience for sure. I don't, no one wants to work hard these days. No one, even those of us that are brought up working hard. Like, you know, if you could make it easier and more convenient, for me to get through something that would be amazing. That's kind of also why we have pot private podcasts, right? Listening to that content easier, more convenient, that it kind of fits in that. And then I would say anything you can do to reduce the time it takes to get to that outcome. So if you're helping someone get from point A to point B, what can we do to crash that schedule, right? And talking a little bit like a project manager, but time is money, right? So if you think about the, I'm just, I'm helping you craft the value, like the, the value of your offer. And it's really those three pillars. What can you do in that offer to make them feel like success is guaranteed? We're increasing the likelihood of success. We're decreasing the amount of time it takes for them to get the result because time is money. And then we're making it easier and more convenient. And yeah, if you can have fun along the way, that's even better too. People do pay to be entertained as well. But those are the three things I would look at in your marketing when if you're selling any type of info product or course or, or coaching program. This is somewhat related, but now we're going to talk about as opposed from an individual's perspective to an organization's. And yeah. you created a certification program for one of the biggest SaaS companies ever built, which is ClickFunnels. Can you tell us the story of how that came to be? You alluded to that in the beginning of this podcast. And then can you describe 
for like at a high level, when is it appropriate for the B2B SaaS company to start thinking about creating a certification program? Mm, that's a great, such a great question. Um, I'll say, you know, with with ClickFunnels specifically, one of the biggest reasons for their success is when when people actually launch a funnel, right? It's it's about in order for them to keep churn down. And this is with most SaaS businesses, right? For Hello Audio, we want people to create feeds. If they're not creating feeds, they're not going to th- use the software. Just like with ClickFunnels, if they're not creating funnels, they're not going to use the software, right? There's no need. So that's that's kind of a basic thing. And so there's a demand, there's a need for people to help people with their funnels, right? And so what does that look like? It, it's like if, if they could, that was one of the reasons behind the certification program for them was that they had a ton of demand. They were like, please, I need someone to build my funnels. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too time consuming. Um, I'm getting stuck, right? And and there's a lot that goes into that too, right? Like, could they have done it? Yes, may not have been the best use of their time, but they there was a ton of demand and not enough funnel builders that I think were maybe adept at using the software. And so one of the things that I think really made ClickFunnels different is they were like, you know what, we're going to create this this certification program. We're going to put our stamp of approval on folks. We'll put them in a marketplace. And that, I mean, for liability reasons, you can't really recommend somebody specific. So, you know, it's all that legal stuff that goes along with it. But now they've created a marketplace where people can hire folks and feel a little bit more confident. You still have to do your due diligence as a consumer. But now they could kind of come back and say, okay, I've got people who can help me that that I know know this tool versus for a lot of us at the time without having a certified partner program. And this goes like in um, Keep, uh, formerly known as Shoot, Infusionsoft has done this, right? A lot of SaaS companies have done it. Um, and it's really because it's like, you know, what are the other options for people to get help? Fiverr, you know, Upwork. And it's it's scary. Like you just, that's that's scary. And so I think this provided a little um, another layer of that certainty, right? The likelihood of success or likelihood of getting that outcome is kind of the what the certification and, and hiring a certified person kind of represents. Again, still have to do your due diligence, but that's something it was kind of the reason behind it. So as we look, you know, at Hello Audio, our tool is actually so easy to use that we have we have over 70 percent of our people that launch their first feed in, in less than a day. And so we don't have a huge demand for other people because it's just so easy to use. However, look at something like Salesforce. Holy cow. Like there's massive programs that go into a Salesforce administration and that kind of stuff like that. That requires assistance. That's a heavy lift, right, is what we call it. That's a heavy lift. And so we do need like those types of tech companies are are really, really well positioned to create those certification programs. Like even I would say Keep, right? Infusionsoft was, that was a beast. That was a heavy lift to get up and running. And so now we see these SaaS companies where there's a heavier lift involved. They, the, all SaaS companies want to do is they want to decrease the time to value. That's one of the metrics that SaaS companies look at when, they, when, they're, when they're trying to make sure that they are doing the best they can. They want people up and running as quickly as possible. They offer migration services. They offer lots of things. This is why they do it, right? Because they want that time to value to be as short as possible. Um, and not everyone can build SaaS tools that are just easy to use because they do a lot of stuff. So um, there's that. I would say when Russell, when they first created the certification program, um, they didn't... I mean, Russell, I'll caveat this. Russell is an absolutely amazing sales and marketing person, right? Like one of the the best in the world, hands down. 
And, you know, I would say curriculum design, not his strong suit. <laughs> you know, that's why he has a team to do it. And so while the first the first iteration of it, I think um, the team did a great job and they were they had a ton of people. I think they weren't ready. For, they weren't expecting the demand that, you know, people really wanted to take an opportunity to be funnel builders and do that. And I went I went to Boise and I was like, oh, this, this uh, the curriculum, the systems person in me, the trainer in me is like, oh, we can make this better. Right. There's some things that we can do. And I think me coming into it with the knowledge of not only being a business owner and helping clients with it, but also being an educator and someone who can design courses and coaching programs that sell, it was an easy way for me to kind of be able to add value to that organization. An organization and obviously one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the world and who really changed the landscape of how we do marketing. It changed how we talked about marketing. It made funnel uh, like, yeah, okay, you want to, it might be like the F, you know, the next dirty F word or something, but like the reality is no one was talking about funnels until click funnels came along or not meant not it is that wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And so being able to step in, I completely overhauled the curriculum. Um, I focused a lot more when it comes to certification, having that business background. I knew that if a company was putting their stamp of approval on somebody, it, it needed to mean something. It, there needed to be assessments. There needed to be more assurance for the consumer that they knew what they were doing, that it was rigorous, right? I've also seen companies not click funnels, uh, but they have multiple choice, like watch a video. Here's a multiple choice quiz. Yeah, I've taken those certifications where I've slept through the videos. I got 100% on the multiple choice quiz. And yes, I'm a certified traffic person. And it's like, does that really mean anything? You know, probably not. As a consumer, would I have confidence that knowing that that person slept through the video and answered all the questions? Probably not, right? But I knew it needed to mean something. And I knew that it needed to be done right. And that was the other reason why I was able to get brought in. And and I, it was such an amazing experience to not only just be a part of that community and be a part of the growth and be able to see the challenges and the opportunities and and really kind of be a part of of that amazing team, but also to help people build businesses. We there were people who went through that certification program that now have multi million dollar agencies, and it's a really cool thing to be able to see and know that you were kind of a you were able to facilitate and help in that process. Right, I think just being a part of that is is pretty amazing. Nora, my final question for you is hypothetical because time machines do not exist. But oh. if they did, <laughs> and you can go back in time about 10 years in the past, knowing everything you know today, how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career? Oh, that is an amazing question. Uh, I would have gotten back into SAS sooner. Why? Um, for me, I. it's interesting, you know, as a... I didn't really think about it back then when I went through my computer science program back in the day, right? I was one of very few women in the program, not many women in tech at that age. Granted, I'm kind of dating myself here, but I'm older than I look. And so it was very, I didn't really think about it. I mean, I've been in IT all my life and it just doesn't, I don't think about being, you know, in that minority and, and kind of doing it. But I, I also think that having a business background and having such a passion for client success and course completion and helping people get the result, being so results oriented, 
there's something magical about being that person who is tech oriented and who cares so much, right, about someone getting that result. And what I think I found with Hello Audio just feels like home. It's like I'm I'm able to build a piece of technology that is easy that is easy to use that people actually they love they get results from it and and being able to create and come at it from a marketing standpoint and come at it from a development and a you know a completion it just it's there's something magical about this and and maybe who knows maybe I would have needed to to do all the other things not that I I didn't my I'm, I love doing I've loved creating certification programs I'll still do that all of those really cool things I just feel like. SAS, there's something about SAS that will always have part of my heart. And so that would be the one thing as I would I would have got into SAS a little bit sooner. I think I could have created some really magical things um, that would have been around for a really long time. There's something to say once you find out, maybe not what your ideal role or position is, but when you find out what your ideal industry is, it makes life and, and work much better easier to deal with. I, I recently went through a whole journey internally and I come to the conclusion that financial services, insurance, nice. fintech, et cetera. Oh, yes. That's that's my space. I don't know if SEO is going to be the role that I always have, but at least I know I'll always have fun. And this is great to say, I yes. always have fun promoting financial products. So yes. when you said SaaS, that's what clicked in my mind. It's important to find, at the very least, an industry you enjoy being a marketer in. Yes, the fun and it, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, I will say this. When I was in my 20s, I was the type of that that classic, many of you listening to this might be a classic overachiever where like I, I you know, I list it out, I cross them out. You know, like fun is a side, like if I'm having fun, bonus, but it was never the driver for me. It wasn't like, oh, pick a career that you're actually going to enjoy. It was like, I'm doing this. This is success. And so what I've found now, right, going through the 20s and 30s, and now I'm in my mid-40s, and it's just fun is more important than I think I gave it credit for early on in my career. And it's amazing, you know, I don't know if I just didn't believe it at the time that fun could be successful and fun could be lucrative. Maybe it just I was brainwashed and like, who knows, maybe I, I didn't feel it. But it is. It's true. It exists. It's real. It's a reality, you know. And so. It is something I, I take more seriously now that, you know, I do look for fun and in the hell yes before before I'll uh, I'll say yes to it for sure. Nora, if anyone wanted to say hello to you online, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Nora Sedith or norasedith.com. Awesome. And thanks for your time today. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to episode 114 of the People Digital Marketing Podcast. If you haven't done so already please subscribe and rate us on Apple and Spotify. And as always, I hope everyone has a great day. Bye. On the next episode of the People Digital Marketing, I will have Karen Paykes on the show. She is a former BBC journalist who won an Emmy, believe it or not. And she will be sharing her career journey, transitioning from award-winning journalist to marketing leader in the B2B space. If you're interested in learning more and haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify. And as always, I hope you have a great day and thanks for listening.